Well, we're in 2 Kings chapter 14. Last week we left off with verse 6. Our King Amaziah has taken over the throne of Judah, reigning in the stead of his murdered father, Joash, also known as Jehoash. And King Amaziah didn't trust any of those wicked servants who had slayed his father. I wouldn't either. And so he had them killed as a retribution. He exacted capital punishment upon them for his father's murder. And the question is, how far will he take this retribution? Will he stop at killing the the servants who slayed his father? Or will he take it a step further? Let's look at the scripture in verse 6. But the children of the murderers he slew not, according to that which is written in the book of the law of Moses, wherein the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor the children be put to death for the fathers. But every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And that law is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 16. It's, if you're writing that down, it's in Deuteronomy 24, 16. And it says exactly that. If I read it to you, you'd say, you just read that. Now what this does not mean is that the children aren't responsible for the sins their father taught them if they commit those same sins. That's what it doesn't mean. But if the children's fathers committed the sin and not the children, then the children shouldn't be punished for the sins of their father. They've got their own sin to deal with, by the way. There was a a series... And I didn't get to watch too much of it, but it was on the children of serial killers. If you've ever seen something like that, you always wonder, well, what happened to those kids? How did they grow up? How did they turn out? And certainly they, those children, now adults, some of them parents and grandparents themselves have carried that label. Well, that's old so-and-so's daughter or son right there. And boy, if your dad was a serial killer, that's tough to swallow. Make you want to change your name, wouldn't it? But by his own inaction, Joash, Amaziah's father, taught Joash to leave these high places alone and to let the people worship their false gods there. And so when Joash died, leaving Amaziah to occupy the throne... Amaziah could have removed those high places. He could have forbidden the worship of false gods. He could have said, look, folks, we're going to pull the Ten Commandments out and we're going to read them to you. And this is what you better go by because this is the law of the land of Israel and Judah for that matter. But he didn't do that because he, like his father sinned by leaving those high places alone. And so by doing that, Amaziah wouldn't be punished for the sins of his father. His father left the high places alone and let the children of Israel Israel worship there. But Amaziah would be held accountable for him leaving them alone as well. He couldn't say, well, that's my father's doing. Well, it was, 
until you got on the throne, Amaziah, and now it's your doing. You're responsible for not taking those high places down. Amaziah was 25 years old when he sat on the throne, so he was old enough to know better. This wasn't a boy king. He was a young king, but he wasn't a boy king. And in his day, as in the days before him, the Ten Commandments were very clear about what he was allowing to happen. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, Exodus 20, 3 through 5, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them. For I, am the, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, in those two, two or three verses from Exodus, both things are covered that Amaziah did. He allowed the people to have those other gods before him, and he allowed the people to bow down and to worship them. So they had the, the high places, and no doubt the graven images went right along with that. And they worship there. And so when the fathers and the mothers did that in Joash's day, what did the, the children of those fathers and mothers do in Amaziah's day? Did the same thing, didn't they? And therefore, the iniquity of the fathers would be visited to the third and the fourth generation. It just keeps going. You don't have to teach your children to sin. Just leave them alone. They'll do plenty of that on their own. You have to teach them to do right, just like your parents had to teach you to do right. So when Amaziah disobeyed by allowing these things to occur and allowing the children of Israel to offend the God of Israel, Amaziah could not blame his father. He could not rightfully say it's my dad's fault that the high places are still up and the people worship there. If a, if a husband beats his wife and gets arrested for it, he might try to excuse his behavior, and many have, by saying, well, my dad beat my mother. It just kind of runs in the family. I can't help it. Now, if we heard someone say that, we'd say, well, that's foolish. We don't buy that. That's unacceptable. What your dad did has nothing to do with what you did. Now, you may have learned that from him, but you have also learned that it's against the law that it's not right, that it hurts people, including yourself. And not, so none of us would buy that excuse for domestic violence. And that husband has a decision to make. And that decision is, will I do as my father did, or will I obey God's word by loving my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Because that's the choice right there. And I'm speaking to people who are watching now and here and, and also online. If a certain sin runs in your family, you need to remember that you have a choice to make. You are not bound to repeat the sins of your father and your mother. But if you do... Just like Amaziah here in our text, 
then you'll be held accountable for your sins, for your choice, not for your father's or mother's sins. And they will have been made accountable for their sin and for teaching you those sin, but you'll be accountable for committing them, for making those choices. Back in 2 Kings chapter 8, we read of an evil king named Ahaziah. Now, we're reading about Amaziah here. He was Ahaziah. And his mother was Athaliah. However, the evil king, Ahaziah, had a son. And his name was Joash. One of the many Joashes we've read about. And you may remember back in chapter 12 of this same book that Joash did right in the sight of the Lord. And he also didn't take the high places down, but he did right in the sight of the Lord. He was instructed the first few years of his life by a priest named Jehoiada. But he didn't take the high places down. Now, he did right in the sight of the Lord. His father was evil. And so Joash made a choice there not to do what his father did. I'm sure he loved his father. But he also chose not to do what his grandmother did. You see, a certain sin ran in that family, didn't it? It was just being evil. Worshiping at the church of the golden calf and all of that. But Joash chose to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So if you think, well, Brother Andy, I just, I don't know. It just runs in the family. I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Now, you're not stronger than that sin, but God is. And by his spirit, you can not do that. Now, if you're not a Christian, then you probably, it probably doesn't bother you. You think, well, that's just my old man and my mom being my old man and mom. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a chip off the old block. Don't want to be a chip off the old sin block. Jesus saves you. You're, you're part of a new block, aren't you? <laughs> now look in verse. And I want to tell you, I am so thankful that God's word can lift a person out of a bad situation. You are not, and I mean, I want you to hear this, and some watching too and some who will watch later on, you are not tied down to your past or to your family's past when you trust the Lord and his word. God's grace is shown to us in many, many ways, and this is one of them. And his word washes, it regenerates, it makes the vile clean. Through the sacrifice of the Son of God, it removes the sin and the stain. So don't tell me you're tied down to it when Jesus can remove it. Now, verse 7, speaking of Amaziah, he slew of Edom in the valley of salt 10,000 and took Selah by war and called the name of it Jokthiel unto this day. Selah, the city... And Edom, the country, had been conquered by David when Israel was, get, was one nation. This was back in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And even before that, even before David conquered Edom and made them his servants, at least some, if not all, of that land, it's, it's hard to tell because I don't know exactly where the lines are on these modern maps, but it seems that some, if not all, of that land was given to the tribe of Judah and maybe other tribes of the children of Israel there in Joshua chapter 15. In fact, in verses 1 through 2, 
It says, This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even to the border of Edom. The wilderness of Zin southward was the uttermost part of the south coast, and their south border was from the shore of the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, from the bay that looketh southward. So the land, at least some of it, possibly all of it that's in Edom, belonged to Israel, not just geographically, but genealogically as well. That is, you remember Edom was another name for Esau. Edom was, he was red and hairy, and so he was also called Edom. So Edom was the land where Esau, Jacob's brother, dwelt after their separation. Now you remember Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So his brother Esau was the one who, after whom this name was land, or land was named, excuse me, Edom. And Jacob would later be named Israel. Jacob and Esau should have been of one mind, shouldn't they? They came from Isaac. They should have been of one mind, one spirit, and one land. But Esau was an earthy man. He was carnal. He despised his birthright. Jacob, on the other hand, although he deceived his brother and deceived his father, he was a spiritual man. He was looking forward to things future, things that were permanent, not to the now and now. He wasn't concerned as much about the immediate things like a bowl of soup. <laughs> he was concerned and wanted the blessing and the birthright that his father could give him. He valued his birthright and he valued the blessings, the very same things Esau despised. So that's the little bit of the history of the land of Edom and the Edomites. And for Amaziah to slay the Edomites and to repossess Selah, one of the cities, teaches us something about Edom in God's eyes. Remember, Esau despised what God wanted to give him. And so Edom represents a people who will not repent. That's what Edom represents, a people who will not repent. Listen to what the prophet Malachi says would happen in Edom. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now listen to what Edom said in response to God destroying or doing what he did to Edom. Whereas Edom saith, that is the people of Edom, we are impoverished. But we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw them down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So what was the response of Edom whenever God laid them waste? They said, we'll just rebuild what we had. They didn't repent and say, Lord, you've done this for a reason. We're wrong. Restore us. 
like you want us restored. If you want us to serve as slaves for the rest of our lives, we'll do that. They didn't do that. And God said, they can build it back up and I'm going to throw it down again. Now, Amaziah doesn't completely destroy Edom. But God will completely destroy spiritual Edom, which is Esau. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 through 17. Remember, Esau and Edom, same person. It says in Hebrews 12, 16 through 17, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. That's why Esau and Edom represent the people who will not repent. So it's right that God would have indignation against them forever. It said, though he sought it carefully with tears. Oh, he did lots of crying, but he found no place of repentance. He found no place of repentance. You see, there was a place of repentance, but he didn't find it. He wasn't looking to find it. It said in the, in the text I read you from Hebrews, he, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance. There was a place for repentance, and he would have re- inherited a blessing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, listen to what Jesus said. We're, we're looking at two words, found and place. And we looked at place for a moment. Let's look at the word found or find. Jesus said in Matthew seven fourteen, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And when you think of Edom, think of those who are not the least bit interested in finding that place of repentance, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where you repent, right there. The cross of Calvary. A finished work. Now go back to your text in 2 Kings 14. Let's look at verse 8. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash. Now that's the same as Joash. The son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. Now this is Joash, the king of Israel, he's talking to. What an invitation. Let's meet face to face. You're going to find that that wasn't for coffee. That wasn't to swap fishing stories. Amaziah was underestimating who he was dealing with. Why, he just whipped a bunch of Edomites, took a city back from them. So he turns his face toward Israel and thinks, well, I'm going to take them on. Now remember, this Joash had a grandfather who was named Jehu, and he was a mighty warrior and a successful leader both of the military and then of the country when he was put on the throne. So it's not good for Amaziah to kick a sleeping lion, in this case the nation of Israel. Verse 9, And Jehoash the king of Israel sent to Amaziah king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar, that was in Lebanon, saying, Give thy daughter to my son to wife. And there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trod down the thistle. You look at that and say, Well, what does that mean? 
We're going to look at it. This is called an allegory. Joash answered Amaziah with an allegory. Amaziah said, let's meet face to face, and Joash gave him this allegory. Now, that is, just if you don't know what an allegory is, it's a story that has a deeper significance than just the characters and their actions display. If you looked at this cartoonishly, you'd say, oh, how cool, a thistle and a cedar were doing this and having this conversation, and a wild beast rode down the thistle. If that's all you get out of it, then uh, you miss the whole point here. The thistle and the cedar, both from Lebanon, are, are the characters in this allegory. Now listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. Now this is just the first part of verse 18. So if you're taking notes, put Genesis 3, 18a, letter A, little letter A. That lets you know it's not the whole verse, it's just the part of it that I'm quoting. Where God said this to Adam concerning the earth being cursed... Because of sin, it said, he said, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And speaking of false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, Matthew 7 verse 16, Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Now, when I walk around the creek bank looking for a place to fish, I'll come across this tree, and it's my nemesis. It's called the black walnut, and it's got thorns that are about that long on it. And it doesn't have grapes, and it may, I don't even know if it makes walnuts, but I know it's got thorns that long, and they'll poke a hole in your waders or your eyeball or whatever runs into it. And so I have to be very careful around them. But it does not yield grapes, I can tell you that. And a fig tree doesn't yield thistles. So Jesus asked this rhetorical question uh, to the people saying, if you want to recognize a false prophet, just look at what his fruit is. Is he correct when he makes a prophecy or is he wrong? Because if he's wrong one time, he's not God's prophet. He's man's prophet. Now there's your thistle. What about the cedar? The cedar was a type of wood that was used for many things. And one of the things it was used for is in the cleansing of a leper. The cleansing of a leper there in Leviticus chapter 14. In Solomon's day, it was used, the cedar was used, to build the house of the Lord. So we know it was a strong wood, and the Bible also says it was a tall wood. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 15, you can just put SOS. 5.15, Jesus Christ, and boy, I'm glad we studied the book of the Song of Solomon so you'll know it's about Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Jesus Christ is described with these similes. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. So we know cedars are also excellent. Now, the thistle and the cedar represent two opposing types. The thistle, which is cursed, it's a weed, and the cedar, which is strong and excellent, and about which we learn much when we study it in view of Jesus Christ. 
And the thistle, which is Judah, wants to marry the cedar, which is Israel. In other words, be one. Well, the problem is the thistle is cursed. It wants to marry up with the cedar. And that union is not a holy union. That union is based upon selfish desires that Amaziah has to conquer Israel. He wants it to be one so it can all be his. And the thistle, rather than humbling herself to the cedar, which is excellent, is arrogant. And instead she says, I want to meet the cedar face to face. The thistle would have to grow awfully tall and strong to do that. So once again, it's an arrogant position the thistle has taken. And what Jehoahaz says in his reply to Amaziah is, or excuse me, Joash, is that the thistle would be easily trodden down by a wild beast. And it's understood that a wild beast can't tread down a cedar. He can butt his head against that cedar tree all day long, and he's not going to trample it down. But with the thistle, it's not a problem. He wouldn't even notice. So what was this? This was a warning to Amaziah to stay home. The best thing you can do, Amaziah, is just stay home. Now look at verse 10. This is Joash continuing to uh, reply to uh, Amaziah, Thou hast indeed smitten Edom, and thine heart hath lifted thee up. Glory of this, and tarry at home. That means wait at home. For why shouldest thou meddle to thy hurt, that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with thee? Joash gave an allegory, and now he explains to Amaziah what he means by it, what his purpose was. Thou hast indeed smitten Edom. In other words, I'll give you that, Amaziah. You beat the Edomites, and you took Selah. Good for you. But he said, Thine heart hath lifted thee up which is another way of saying you've exalted yourself. You've made yourself into something that you're really not. You think a whole lot more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And Amaziah's victory over Edom caused him to be prideful rather than thankful. Rather than humble, he exalted himself. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, 1 through 2, the prophet Ezekiel is admonishing the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. If you've heard of Tyre and Sidon in your study of the Bible, this is the king of Tyre. And Ezekiel says to the king of Tyre, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, which is Tyre, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, with a capital G. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet art thou art a man, and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Now the king of Tyre, and I don't think it would be any surprise to you, was a type of, of Lucifer who became Satan. Remember, Lucifer allowed his heart to lift him up above where he really was. And this king, Tyre, was on the throne. And rather than just saying, I'm over these people in Tyre, but I'm under God, he said, 
No, I'm in the place of God. Just like Lucifer did before his fall. So when man's pride lifts him up, or excuse me, when his heart lifts him up, his pride will bring him down. Or when his pride lifts him up, his pride will bring him down. It always results in a fall. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Continuing in this same verse, in verse 10, Jehoash tells Amaziah, Glory of this and tarry at home. Now the word glory is also translated honor. So Amaziah, let your honor be that you have defeated Edom. That's what he says. Stay home and celebrate that. Have a party over that. You beat the Edomites. You took back Selah. Good job because that belonged to us in the first place. David had taken it and we lost it. Now you've got it back. So that's the positive. He tells him, stay home and celebrate that. For why shouldest thou meddle? Meddle means to stir up. In fact... It is translated that way six times in the Old Testament. Listen to how it's translated as stir up in the, in the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. Now that's exactly what Amaziah is doing here. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. In other words, he's a peacemaker. Now, we say uh, we have a saying about people who are uh, problem causers. They like to cause problems by meddling. What do we say? He's always stirring up trouble. And nothing good comes from it, and it usually leads to the meddler getting more than he bargained for. You know, I've, I've watched, uh, you've probably seen this. If you're, if you're real country, I mean real country, you've probably seen oaky noodling. Oh, yeah. Foolish, foolish, but it is fun to watch. And I watched one of those oaky noodlers go down and pull out a big old catfish out of a hole in the creek bank underwater. When he came up, he had a piece of duct tape. I call that Arkansas chrome, but duct tape on his finger. And so one of the people who interviewed him asked him, why you have that duct tape? Well, the reason he had the duct tape on there had actually been captured on film by somebody else. He was on a sandbar, and he saw a copperhead, a little baby copperhead down there. And so he went over, and he tried to meddle with it, and he got bit. And it swelled his finger up, so he put a piece of duct tape on there so he could keep on fishing. That's what happens when you meddle. Joash told Amaziah that two things are going to happen if you meddle with me, with Israel. One is the word hurt, and one is the word fall. You're going to get hurt, and you're going to fall. The word hurt is translated also as the word evil, as the word wicked, and so forth. Other, there are other words that are just like it throughout the Old Testament. But the first time that the Hebrew word that's translated as the word hurt is used in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. And there it's translated as the word evil. 
Genesis 2 verse 9, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is the same word as the word hurt. So if you substituted the word hurt for the word evil, here's how it would read. The tree of the knowledge of good and hurt. That's exactly what it is. And when Eve meddled with that tree, and her husband meddled with it as well by eating from the fruit of that tree, they brought two things upon themselves, hurt and a fall. Hurt and a fall. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. For as in Adam all die. So by putting those verses together, that one and the one from Genesis, we can see that by sin man was hurt and man fell. Because he said, in Adam all die. And you're all in Adam. Everyone that's ever been born is born in Adam, but not Christ. He wasn't born of the seed of Adam. Now, you know, Adam and Eve were once in perfect fellowship with God, unbroken by sin, free from death. So there was no hurt and there was no fall before sin entered into the world. And just like Joash warned Amaziah in our text... God had warned Adam and Eve about meddling with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he did that after he made the tree, because it's in Genesis 2, verse 17. It says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, why shouldn't they meddle with it? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Joash told Amaziah, stay home, celebrate your victory over Edom. Don't meet me face to face because if you do, you're going to get hurt and you're going to fall. And you're going to cause Judah and all those people to get hurt and fall. We'll look at that in just a moment. In fact, we'll look at it now at the end of verse 10. For why should thou... Why shouldest thou meddle to thy hurt that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with thee? Not only was Amaziah in danger of hurt and a fall for himself, but his meddling would have consequences for everyone in Judah. You know, I doubt that Adam and Eve ever paused for one second to think about the effect that their sin would have on all their descendants. Just like we don't. The serpent persuaded them that if they'd eat from that tree, they'd be as gods, knowing good and evil. He lied to them about the result of meddling, though, which is hurt and a fall, not supernatural knowledge, as he tried to sell to them. And this is what happens when we disobey God's word. Amaziah clearly taught Israel that their sin had dreadful consequences, or Judah. Amaziah should have learned that, but Joash told Amaziah, your sin, you come meet me face to face, it's going to have some dreadful consequences. 
And some of those consequences are going to be far-reaching because they're going to reach all of the people of Judah with you. It's going to affect many of their brethren. You know, when we try to obey God's Word, Satan will use the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to convince us that meddling with sin will not result in our hurt or a fall. He does it through the world. You say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church this morning and study God's Word. And your buddy says, man, this is the last day of deer season. You sure you don't want to go? I've been seeing some big old bucks out there. Or, well, we're having a family reunion today. Why won't you just skip church and come over to that? Well, Satan does all kinds of things. Or when you... Get ready to read your Bible. Hey, put that down. You can read that later. Man, there's a good football game on right now. If God moves on your heart to read your Bible, just pull it out and read it. doesn't matter what time of day it is. You have your own set time or you just say, well, whenever I'll pick it up. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, there's a principle right there of sowing and reaping. And you may say, well, I've heard that before. Good. Then it should be familiar to you. You should know that it's true. If you have ever planted a garden, you know that it's true. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So Paul warned the Galatians before he even gives them this truth to not be deceived. He he tells them, don't be deceived, and then he gives them the truth. Why is that? Because by God's Spirit, Paul knows that men will be deceived when they try to obey God's Word, when they try to sow to the Spirit. And Amaziah had been warned about meddling. And let's see how he responds here in verse 11. But Amaziah would not hear. There you go. Let that sink in. It doesn't mean Amaziah couldn't hear, but that he wouldn't. Now this message was, the Bible tells us it was sent. said Joash sent to Amaziah. Probably in the form of of a letter, some kind of written instrument to make sure that the The exact message was communicated to him. That's the way you do it. You put it in writing. That's why you tell somebody who wants to strike a deal with you, I want to see it in writing. Because we unfortunately can't trust people all the time. And this message was probably read aloud to Amaziah, or maybe he read it himself. He heard it, but the word here is not limited to the ear receiving the sound and transmitting it to the brain. And next week we're going to see just how far-reaching is the word here and what does it mean to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word speaks truth to our hearts. And Father, today we pray that your spirit would just surround us with your presence, that all of the cares of the world, all of the carnal desires that have attacked us during the week would be set aside 
And Father, that you would teach us through your word, that you would encourage us and we would encourage one another as we pray and as we sing together, that when we leave this place, we will have been built up in the most holy faith so we can walk this Christian life in an ever-darkening world. In Jesus' name, amen.